listening to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast, serving the latest news in sci-fi multimedia. And now your hosts, Scott and Miles. Your table is ready. It's long and This is a capital. We have a little problem with our entry sequence, so we may experience some slight turbulence and then explode. I got a bad feeling about this. Walter, put the cow away, would you? What is this place? It's a freak show. Welcome to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. This is our second part in a multiple-part series on interviews that were done in and around Infect Scranton. And um, and uh, for those of you that didn't tune in to the last interview we did where we shared some of the Walking Dead interviews. I was going to say Walking Dead, but the Walking Dead interviews. Uh, and uh, we talked a little bit about Infect Scranton there. Uh, but tonight we're bringing you some other interviews that were also done there. And my understanding is that these people have affiliation with the Romero zombies. Is that correct, Jay? Is that yeah, right? For the most part. Yeah. Uh, these and, are the guys who are local Pennsylvania actors who, like George Romero, uh, built their, their careers up in eastern or western Pennsylvania. And they were part of that whole genesis of the Romero-style zombie. Yeah. And so they, these we should introduce who you guys are because I didn't introduce you to the show. So, uh, but Jay, since you're talking, tell us a little bit about uh, who you are and uh, your affiliation with this. I uh, am the producer, creator, and writer of a audio drama series called HG World, which is centered in the zombie apocalypse. Uh, we've been on the air since 2009. We won a Parsec for best speculative fiction audio drama back in 2011. Uh, it's a, a pretty pretty complex show with a big cast of characters and uh they are far more awesome than my words uh support right. them but it's a good show and you can check it out at goodmorningsurvivors.com and very family friendly not yeah. so much no <laughs> not, not so much uh, and em you're with us again hello um yes it's m Ciro garcia yeah and i am one of the actors for the awesome show hg world um and i do some other voice acting stuff and i'm a big big fan of the sci-fi diner podcast yes well it's good to have you on and uh both of you are uh, on and i'm hungry too what are you serving uh we're we're, we're serving some romero zombies how's it sound awesome. <laughs> i like swains yeah that, that's that's yeah. <laughs> Uh, so let's talk. You you were in the middle of a diatribe and Romero zombies when I interrupted you, Jay. Uh, so the 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 impact. You gotta you gotta get me to shut up about it. Yeah, yeah no. But, so uh, can you back up and tell us the impact of Romero zombies on on maybe even the current zombie culture, but even uh, our culture in general? Well, uh, when it you know, it first started. Uh, Romero wrote a script and told a story that resonated with the generation. It was uh, a metaphor for change within society. And I think Romero has built over the years with his various sequels to Night of the Living Dead uh, a way of telling social and moral tales within the context of a monster movie. And I think in general we can identify with our darker fears and our, our, our 
lesser aspects by replacing whatever it is that scares us with an undead thing. Uh, so over the years, whenever it was either the Russians coming or an economic downturn or famine or disease, we could always just use zombies as a surrogate to tell how we as survivors would cope with that change. And so we look back at these movies, and yeah, seeing these actors like Sharon Hill and Jim Crutt, uh, we we re- remember them, but then we also remember what we were thinking at that time, whether it was 1968 or 1978 or 1985 when these movies came out. Um, and we're able to we're able to map the social crisis of the time to each movie as they came out. Hmm. And we had a chance then to, uh, you, you guys had a chance to sit down and chat with a bunch of these uh, actors uh, from Infects Grant. How, how do they view kind of the roles in that genre, you know, looking back on it now for someone that's been years? Yeah. And, and if you look at the their IMDb database, a lot of their roles were key, very small roles through the 70s and 80s and into the 90s, but they're so memorable. Um, they they will come to conventions and they are immediately embraced by fans, new and old, because their character was so important for that short period of time in each of those movies. Like for example, you, everyone who has seen Dawn of the Dead, the 1978 version, will recognize the nurse zombie because she keeps popping up and she has this larger-than-life performance as a zombie. Um, But she's somebody that you would remember probably better than the living people in that movie. Hmm. So they've they've been able to come out to these conventions and uh, whether it's a 15-year-old who's just seen it for the first time or somebody like me who's seen that movie uh, dozens of times, I'll go, oh, you're the nurse zombie. It's a connection to my past. So they're, they're able to... You know, sell some of their wares and 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 uh, touch, touch with touch base with fans, and it's it's a great experience. Hmm. What was really neat is that it 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 set off not just it kind of launched them into other parts, other aspects of of the of the movie making. Because Sharon and her husband, um, I'm looking him up. I can't remember his name. Clayton. They were involved. They as time went on, they were even more involved than just the acting. I think they got into the production side of it and costuming and all of that. And most of the people we talked to, it was it was a, a neat opportunity that sparked uh, a very creative future for them in in their own rights. So they they embrace it because it, it brought them to a place of of happiness in creatively and you know not like they're all billionaires, but when you find something you love and you can make money at it. That's just, it's perfect. It's perfection. Mm. Yeah, and I think when we went, we didn't really go to make a lot of money. We were there to share our craft and our love of the of audio drama primarily, but also our association with, with zombies. And this the, the energy coming from the families who were at this convention, it, the, it, the love we got was equal to the love we gave out. So that that's something I'm sure, as an actor and as a writer... I, I love that gratification because, you know, in their case, it's been decades since they've had that role, but to, to come somewhere and refuel off of that energy has to be a, a, an important draw. Oh, you would think, you would think. Um, well, let's start with uh, someone that we've been mentioning already and start with uh, the interview that you did with Sharon. Tell me about how that transpired um, and, and how that went down. So 
It was very clever. We walked up to her and said, hey, can we do an interview? Um, it was, it you know, it was really kind of tense and it took some negotiating. And then seconds later, she said, sure, what's it for? Um, so that kind of, that was, it was great. Everyone there was so willing to just chat about all of it. We had a really good, a good long conversation with her, too. She gave us a lot of time. Um, she talked about uh, her experience with Romero and the films and the other films she was a part of. She was in Hellraiser. She was in um, Gung Ho, which was a really strange Michael Keaton movie about making cars, which personally I love and I own on beta, VHS and DVD because it's oh, really goofy and awesome. Wow. But yeah, I'm, I'm a completist. So she she gave us a lot of insight on where it kind of took her and, and her reaction to everyone else's reaction to the movie, both then and now, and how it, it did create a future for her and her husband, God rest him. Yeah. Well, very good. Well, let's uh, let's share that interview then that you did with uh, Sharon. For, uh, and how did you say her last name again? Ciotti. Ciotti. Sharon Ciotti from Infect Scranton, who was, um, had a oh, key shoot. role. No, it's not. It's, it's, oh, crap. Is it I'm sorry. Uh, sis, I don't know. Sharon, I'm sorry. That's all right. <laughs> we pronounce it Ciotti, and um, it's not the first time we mispronounce stuff in the diner, that's for sure. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll look it up. All right. Uh, we'll give it to you at the flip end of this interview, but she's notable in Dawn of the Dead as one of the, as the nurse that everyone remembers. Here's our interview, or their interview with, with Sharon. projects you have you really enjoyed and have really kind of brought you out to meet all the fans? Uh, probably one a lot of people know is uh, Hellraiser 3. Nice. I also played a blonde nurse in that. I've been a nurse, believe it or not, in five different movies. Now, were you ever actually a nurse? No. And you just happened to somehow get typecast as a... I guess. You know what I mean? Yeah, my husband, and my husband's Clayton here. You know, he recently passed away, but he was a sweater escalator zombie. And also the weapons coordinator. Fantastic. So I worked, and I worked on set wardrobe behind the camera, so we were there all the time. It took like three months to make the movie. Right. And this is really how we got our start in making movies. But, you know, getting back to your question... Hellraiser 3, we went on to become casting directors, so we were casting movies, but somehow or other the director saw me and he says, there's a nurse rule in there, I want you to be the nurse. All right. Like, wow. What other movies did he cast? Uh, Hellraiser 3, Children of the Corn 2, Knight Riders, it was George Romero's Knight Riders, I was the location uh, casting director. Oh, wow. Clayton was the uh, second AD. And uh, we did a lot of TV, TV movies. Um, has, it, has it mostly been in this kind of genre or in others as well? In others as well. We only did three horror movies. Oh, really? And all the and other three movies big were either comedies or, yeah, comedies or, um, you know, dramas. Nice. Yeah. Is there, is there a project that you kind of went, I don't want to work on that? Or there was one that you're like, oh, we've got to get that project? Hellraiser 3. Yeah. Still to this day, I haven't worked on watching it. Because it's so... Because it is so rough. 
Right. I never know, made it past and, the first one. So. And, and, and we were there right there and saw how it was shot, and it still to this day gives me the creeps watching it. I'll tell you another project, uh, Half of the Size of Corpse. Have you ever seen that? Oh, yeah. The Rob Zombie. I have a yeah. hard time watching that, too. That was, I got in That's 10 minutes into that, and then I had to. I actually got sick. I did, too. Physically, I left the popcorn was gone. I did, too. Sid Haig is, is a very, very dear, close friend of mine, too. And he played the pond. Right. And, and I still, I just said, I'm sorry, but I can't watch it. I did movie. my best. <laughs> I tried, but, you know, maybe someday. So what do you think about this new zombie phenomenon, the rebirth of it? I love it. Yeah? I think it's fantastic. I mean, you know, I I, I can't believe it, but mm -hmm. I love it. I, I think it's so cool. Everybody, just about everybody you talk to wants to be a zombie. Right. You know, and, and I understand it. I dig it. Like, it, it's fun. I mean, the zombies are happening. Right. That's true. Yeah, I mean, Sometimes I'll wear my outfit and I'll get into that character. And you do feel like a zombie would feel. Can you imagine? That's the way they feel. That's the way whenever I was um, shooting a scene, I said to George, I said, well, what does a zombie do? I have no idea. Like, and he said, well, just do what you think a zombie would do and act like that. I said, okay. So I did it and I said, well, what do you think? He said, that's perfect. Don't change it. But see, you shoot the movie three months and you have to remember your character and how you were. Because I usually always rolled my eyes up into my head. You know, and then if I come back and didn't do that, it wouldn't, like, match up and you wouldn't be the same zombie. Right. But I felt like a zombie when I was in character a lot. And, and I think it coming back is awesome. You get recognized a lot? I do. I imagine, I especially I now with this rebirth, yes, right? exactly. And it's little kids now coming up, too, I'm sure. I know. Well, see, their parents got them into it, mm -hmm. like, because their parents were fans, and they just bring it down to their kids, and then the kids are the kids, so it's like a whole generation of, of yeah. family. Amazing. Love it. Love it, too. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Well, we hope you enjoyed our interview with Sharon Hill. Let's move into one of the other actors that you interviewed from uh, the uh, Romero uh, zombie era. Uh, you know what? We have two others here. Let's talk about Jim. Oh, Jim Crute. He was so, so great. He was, um, again, it was a really arduous task of going up to him and going, Hey, Jim, can we talk to you for a little bit on a podcast? And you know, multi-seconds later of, oh, yeah, what do you want to talk about? He <laughs> gave us a lot. He, ta again, talked to us about being on in the movie and being in just that whole genre and being involved in it. He was um, super accommodating, uh, which I've been saying about everybody, so I'm sorry for repeating myself. Uh, he talked a lot about some of the other stuff he's done. Um, I'm trying to remember exactly some of the other films he's been involved in and just the how much he really kind of loves loves and feeds off of this this excitement that people get out of it and he I think it was him who made the comment that when he had a, a really young fan come up and just gushed to him about the movie and really loved this genre and he he said he just felt amazing about it mm. I think it was him um just mm. I, I don't know what else to say. He was great. And, you know, to find out about what he said, you should listen. Yes. Um, Jay, <laughs> why is he called by some the helicopter zombie? <laughs> well, his, his uh, quote-unquote 15 minutes of fame within Dawn of the Dead is a, a very interesting scene where uh, he plays a zombie that is in an uh, airport. And the main characters are refueling a helicopter. 
and the entire scene is this guy is approaching uh, one of the actors from behind. He can't hear him over the, the helicopter. Uh, he walks up a hill to come down on top of this actor, and the helicopter blade cuts off the top of his head. <laughs> and that's that's the extent of it. But that's that's the coolest thing about about being in this that position in in one of Romero's movies is that you're not just somebody who has prosthetics thrown at you. You have a character, and sometimes you have a story. And the cool thing is about Jim is that Jim is an actor primarily, and he he loved the role that he had, but it's not. It's not who he is as an actor. When you talk to him, he he certainly has a sense of his craft. He's he's actually done some lines for us in HG World, and he's he's very interesting and relate to relate to. He's done uh, stage theater. He's currently doing stage theater. He does he's done uh, voice work, so he has a, a very robust career outside of this 15 minutes of of Dawn of the Dead, which is really epic, but. <laughs> It's just a minor part of who he is. Right, right, right. Good. Well, let's go ahead and share the interview with Jim and uh, who was in Dawn of the Dead and at Infect Scranton. Zombified from not enough coffee. <laughs> so you are the very, very famous helicopter zombie. Yes, that's true. I am the very, very famous helicopter zombie from George Romero's original 1978 version of Dawn of the Dead. When there's no more room in hell. <laughs> Do you find even despite the fact that you have a real head, you get recognized a lot as a Actually, no. Uh, one of the reasons I have this photo is that I would be sitting here with all of the pictures and people say, man, that was one of my favorite scenes in the movie. Like, who are you? Um. I thought, well, that was kind of like me. No. Yeah. Well, this is a very good picture. Yeah. That, kind of, that kind of pulls them together. Yeah. That's kind of nice. Are you enjoying that now you get the kids coming up to you, that the resurgence of the whole zombie genre? What is me is the age range the fact that this movie was done in 1978 and a lot of the fans, the most ardent fans, weren't even born there. Right. And that, that just blows me away. I've had uh, kids like eight and nine, and they'll come up and they'll say, you know, they've seen this movie so many times. And I said, I didn't let my daughter watch it until she was like 16. Right. <laughs> but uh, the other thing is, I've had some very young people, t- talking about kids, uh, in fact, Mike and I, Mike Corinne back here and I were talking, uh, a young man who came up to a show in uh, New Jersey, and he was, said he was going to be a filmmaker. A lot of people just kind of blow him off, and I, you can just tell when somebody's got a desire, and they're going to do what they say they're going to do. And so he was interested in a lot more detail about the movie right. than other other folks had uh, questions about. So his questions were very specific about how this was done, how that was done, how did they work on set, what was it like here, uh, what kind of cameras, and what kind of, how many times did really he change He really knew what he was doing. So you never discount anybody who, who expresses a, that kind of passion. And I talked to Mike and he says, you might be here today, that, you know, that, that young man, Anthony, who uh, is working on some other films. He's really taken off. I said, 
it's kind of sweet to see oh, yeah. that people, you know, pick up on that same passion and they just keep rolling with it and and it goes from generation to generation. People have a great time. Do you have any new projects you're working on or anything recent? Well, in uh, June we just finished up uh, Zombie Girl Diary and I play one of the survivors who are out in the woods when the mother and her daughter, right. little girl, come along and we sort of help her out. But uh, anyway, that's, that may be out sometime by this fall. It's nice to be a survivor, I imagine. <laughs> There's not nearly as much makeup, i got to tell you. For Dawn of the Dead, it was like two weeks getting the, the head shots and uh, all the other stuff together, you know, the head castings and all the prosthetic yeah. things together. So, yeah, much. He was set out in the woods when it was 99 degrees and just sweat out there in the humidity. and So it was a real... A real look. You didn't right. have to. Oh, let's just spray him so he looks like they're all. Put some more blood. Here. So your call sign was at like eight instead of like four thirty. <laughs> uh, eight at night. Yeah, we would shoot oh, for like you know fourteen hours, finish up three or four in the morning, nice. stumble around in the woods. Oh, what am I really doing here? But uh, I guess in October we'll be shooting uh, Night of the Living Dead Genesis. Ooh, oh. It's uh, a new visioning of Night of the Living Dead. We'll be shooting that down in Virginia. That's amazing. Oh, we're in Virginia. Where's Virginia? No, we're in oh. Virginia. Yes, Santa Claus, there is a Virginia. <laughs> uh, there are a couple different locations, but uh, I'm thinking it'll probably be Luray. Okay, I I'm, I live in the Washington, D.C. area. Oh, okay, all right. Wow. So he's shooting a couple locations in Virginia, then he was also going to do some things at Evans City, where the original cemetery was mm -hmm. for the Night of the Dead. That's really That's exciting. Cool. So you were kept busy. I, I'm, it's been a busy year. I've just been blessed to do that, and um, I'm at a loss for words. Okay. Do you ever think that this would be? I don't think anybody really knew that it was going to take off. Everybody said, "I'll make a movie." Okay, oh, we'll make a movie. You know, at the time too, you have to realize there weren't many zombie movies out as such. Right. A lot of the horror movies were pretty much the Japanese monsters and Gira, Mothra. And, you name them, and they were out there. Uh, but aside from that, you had you know, Dracula, Frankenstein, The Mummy, Wolfman. The classic. Yeah, Invisible Man, all those kinds of things. But you didn't really have a whole horde of things to be worried about. It was like, we all have to unite against the monster. Right. That will be difficult to kill because he's unkillable. Now it's okay. all the monsters uniting against us. Yes, yes, yes. So it's a, it's a complete turnaround, and the people you turn to, you're, you're not sure you can turn to. Right. So it, it puts everybody in a different sense. I find fascinating. And I did have decaf coffee this morning. The audience <laughs> otherwise talking twice as fast. Is that uh, FEMA and other organizations are saying, you know, all this stuff on zombie preparedness really helps people get ready for disasters, hurricanes, tornadoes, floods. Uh, and just in case there would happen to be a zombie apocalypse, right. people would be ready. So they're kind of happily promoting as well. Do you feel people are preparing more for a zombie apocalypse than no, they no, would no, a natural one? Because no, no, I wouldn't not be at all. surprised. They're just talking about it. It's much more fun to talk about it than to actually right. say, oh, here's my first aid kit, here's my bottle of water. Now, there probably are a few people who actually do prepare. There are survivalists. But most people, I think, are just like, that's really cool, I'm going to be a survivor. But they don't really take the time in preparation. Right. Mm. Kind of like saying, I'm going to get a diploma without really going to school. You know, you right. you got to do the stuff <laughs> to, get, to get the paperwork. Awesome. All right. Well, thank, thank you so much so for your time. Much.
pleasure. Well, we have, is it one other person from uh, Dawn of the Dead to talk to? Talk about, yes. I guess. And, uh, and who would that be, Em? That would be Leonard Lees. Leonard I know Lees. it's spelled lies, but it's Lees. Lees. It sounds it's spelled like lies, but it's Lees. So tell me about this interview that you got with Leonard Lees. So he was, he came around the table and was just like, what do you want to know? Um, he talked about the, where it came from, because he wasn't actually, I think he was, he had been brought on as kind of a bit, a bit actor in the background. And he, the story of how he became the machete um, zombie was really funny <laughs> and really strange. Like, are you kidding me? He was a prop guy. And mm. then all of a sudden he is now famous and has this great following of years of people getting involved he i think he's a writer as well um he's been involved with movie management movie development and um just the not like with big box office but it was it was this again it was a genesis for an amazing career and future in something he loves Hmm. so tell me uh jay again you know we kind of talked about this with with jim but why is he known as the machete zombie in dawn of the dead because his head fit the prop of a machete that was supposed to go into the head of a zombie. And that's basically it. You can see it on T-shirts. It was a big part of Dawn of the Dead's marketing. There are a couple of zombies that show up in the post. The nurse zombie, the helicopter zombie. There's a, a burnt zombie with half his face uh, coming up over the horizon like he's the sun or something. But Leonard's uh, just his gaping maw and this hatchet in his head shows up on T-shirts and posters. So a lot of people associate that zombie with the film. Yeah, in fact, uh, there's a picture of it we'll place on our website that, Em, you were gracious enough to put into the show notes here. And you can learn more about He's actually got, he owns and runs machetezombie.com. <laughs> oh, there you go. So uh, chatting with him again, Em, uh, again, I assume very accessible as many of the other guests were at, at FX Granton, but what was it like chatting with, 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 with Leonard here? It was there really wasn't much for us to do because he just gave and gave and gave and not like in a all right, shut up, shut up. But more of a tell us more, tell us more. It was it was we were we were feasting on some amazing brains there. Mm. Very good. Well, this is the interview that uh, M and uh, Tracy, right? Tracy Uh, Hall. Yep. Um, Who did from Infects Grand with Leonard. Cookie? You can do it for a cookie. Yes. You, we have Wayne cookies. Wayne cookies. Mm. I mean, how do you turn down a brain cookie? No, it's impossible. <laughs> They're filled with sweet, brainy goodness. Mm. Brain food. I love it. It is brain. It is. Like, yeah. I'm just show kind of stuff really fine, right? Okay. Well, we'll you know, but. zombie Joneses live on zombie lane. <laughs> it's kind of like an elitist thing. I live on I zombie lane. Where do you live? <laughs> Main Street. I might, I might actually get one of those for my front door. The zombie lane? Yeah. That'd be a blast. Zombies. Really good. I'm reading it like I'm seeing it. 
and I thought, I, I need to write. So right. got together. We're working on a battery and a zombie. Oh, cool. Anyway, okay. Day one. Dear diary. I only <laughs> I had six brains. <laughs> and I found a great pair of boots. No oh, more yeah. stomping and bloody speakers again. It's going to be so different. <laughs> That's cute. But that's kind of funny. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> that's, uh, you give me the most serious situation. I like the, I like the humor. I, I'll make it all goofy. You know what? I'll write the companion one. Okay. <laughs> Where you this see... This is what they really like. I'll be the picture. The front will be a little zombie on his bed with, with his legs up, reading, writing in his diary with a fluffy pen. With a little bowl of finger snacks next to him. Put your finger. Yep. There we go. Say what? Come on over here. Okay, sure. Hi. Yeah. Hi. How are you? Hi. We're like I said, we're from HG World, and I was wondering what you're working on now, Mr. Machete Zombie. Oh, okay. Uh, just in case, uh, my name is Leonard Lee. Spelled like lies, it's pronounced Lee. You do explain that a lot. I have, uh, yes, I do. <laughs> and, uh, played a role of uh, Machete Zombie in a fairly well-known classical horror film called Dawn of the Dead. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. And I was actually a grip on the film, like a lot of us were grips and PAs and crew. Mm -hmm. It was a fairly non-union film in 1977, crossing over to 1978. So I got to uh, actually talk to the director firsthand, and I'm waiting around one night, waiting for the actors to come out because we'd set up our lights and cameras. And it dawned on me, no pun intended, it dawned <laughs> on me that a lot of the other crew people were getting involved in the movie as bikers or zombies or something. So I just turned to George Romero. He was like looking at his script. And I would normally have never bothered him when he was looking at the script. Right. He just felt like one of those moments. So, hey, George, uh, I'd like to play a zombie. You know, something people remember. He said, okay, go upstairs and see what they have. So upstairs was the top side of the mall in Pittsburgh, Monroeville Mall. And I ran upstairs. And there was one guy sitting with a lamp on, basically protecting the casting room. I mean, nobody's really up there. And I said, hey, John, John Amplis, who played in Martin mm -hmm. and also was supposed to do this role. Right. Uh, George said, come up and see what you have. And uh, he pulled this machete into the light, and it was cut from his head. I said, oh, wow, tell me about that. He said, well, I was supposed to do this thing tomorrow. I said, oh, well, then you're supposed to do it. He said, no, 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 he's bad. I've done, you know, he's the zombies. Bikers, he's, every, he's a really fine actor. Right. So 24 hours later, I'm getting this machete stuck in my head. I mean, it was absolutely awesome. Right? Yeah. And I didn't want to get shot. So I didn't want stuff blowing up around me. I just oh knew God. I wouldn't like it. Mm -hmm. I was at one of those sensitive ages. And before I knew it, like six, seven months later, I had teachers calling me up saying, you know, you're in this horror magazine or you're in New York City up on this billboard, or you're in this other magazine, or you're on this da-da-da-da-da. Right, wow. I kind of realized that something special had happened, yeah. but I didn't really get it. You weren't sure how big it was at the time. Not until 2000, and I got a call from a promoter and said, man, come on, come up to Cleveland, we're having this Dawn of the Dead show, and I was like, what's that? I right. really didn't have any idea what it was. So yeah, you'll meet all your friends from Dawn of the Dead, sign some stuff, and I go, like, for what? Oh, people are going to buy your autograph. Really? And I was like, nah. I think, okay, I'll go up and see them. It's going to be free, free food. I'll have a good time. Mm -hmm. Maybe take a few dollars. Right. Anyway, long story short, went home with a mortgage payment. And my mind worked up. Wow. 
what's going on out there? This is really a popular mm-hmm. film. I knew it was popular, but I had right. no idea. Right. Okay. So fast forward to now. Uh, married, four kids. Got my own business. It's called Dreamcatchers Films Incorporated. Out of Pittsburgh. To do a documentary films, educational films, stuff for YouTube. You name it, we do it. We do video conversions. I've got a dramatic screenplay out in LA. Someone's looking at it right now. He asked me for a budget. So that's always a good song. Right. Mm-hmm. And they love the budget. Which means, you know, because it's got SAG and all those mm-hmm. red elements. And now they're asking me for one more hard copy. So I'm like, yeah. Nice. Now, it's in a few other places, but I'm, I'm feeling. Like I'm resonating with these folks. I'm like, okay, I'm just gonna let it happen. Right. So you're still behind the scenes with it. Uh, behind the scenes, yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm, you know, and this, this is kind of like my wonderful little cuckoo's nest. Mm-hmm. That means anything to you, mm-hmm. okay? Yeah. And um, it's not the same right. we do, but it's like during the course of my career, for whatever reason, I've done a lot of things dealing with institutionalization and people's mental illness. I've been like I've interviewed people under bridges and jails and prisons and live institutions, you name it. And I'm, people are so comfortable with me just walking in and interviewing because they mm. oh there's Len. Right. And uh, I've done a lot of other things too. Like right now we're docu- or, uh, cutting a documentary that deals with um, this woman from Uganda who's basically uh, taken upon herself. There's a lot of children in Uganda who are basically kind of dumped someplace. Children. Because their parents can't afford to feed them. There's such poverty or they're dying of AIDS. So this uh, woman decided to start bringing them into her home. So she created this like foster home. She has 60 kids from all walks of who basically just got dumped somewhere. And she's become known for it to the point where she may be the CNN woman of the year. Um, wow. And, um, Make a long story, and I didn't shoot it. Some people, some academics from Pittsburgh, right. shot it, brought it back. I told them I'd love to edit it while I'm editing it now. And the, the woman is coming to Pittsburgh in October. So I'm going to interview her and then kind of re up some of the interviews and questions because some of the sound is yeah. not quite there. You know, they weren't professional, they were right. shooting, and a lot of it you can hear, but I'm going to redo. Takes some a lot of, of cleaning that. up. And- yeah. So I'm doing that, and then. Um, I have a uh, film I'm working on called Zombie Culture, and um, I had hoped to do some filming today, but our schedules got kind of twisted around, so I'm right. not doing any filming. But it sounds like, seems like everybody else is. Yeah. And it's the whole zombie phenomenon. Yeah, what do you think about that and it coming back? Like, I, you know, it's just such an, an amazing phenomenon to me because, I, I mean, I have people talking to me every day about something zombie. I mean, like, every day. Not right. like shows. Like, oh, yeah, we're getting married in the cemetery. Or, yeah, I just did this whole cool zombie hip-hop album. Or, yeah. um, I've got artwork that's zombie. Or, I've written a story. Or, you know, it's every media. It's print. It's makeup artists. Mm-hmm. Really talented people. So, I'm interviewing people about their impressions of yeah. why this phenomenon which is not a phenomenon anymore it's become a part of the culture oh, I, not even zombie really? culture right. it's become a part of the culture especially to me, me in the last here. three <laughs> years okay and so it's That's weird. <laughs> amazing to me and this so when I go to shows 
I expect to see everything and anything. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of exciting because it's a very creative kind of... Like a lot of people, they're not artists, they're not filmmakers. They go to work, they do their job. Right. And on that weekend, they dress up and they go shambling in a parade or a zombie walk or a food drive. Or, but, it, you know, a lot of it's been put toward positive things or like, like this, you yeah. know, it's for, to help other people, right? So it's much more exciting than just a food drive or a 25-mile walk for the March of Dimes. You have to take away from that. But a lot of people who wouldn't maybe get involved are getting involved. Yeah. And so from the dead comes life. Right. And I think that that's really wonderful because of that. That's a really nice thing to say, yeah. Yeah. What about your kids? Are they well, I have a, caught up in the zombie culture? Um, I have, my 20-year-old is it's kind of like into it, not to go do walks and things. He just likes the whole idea of right. dad doing shows. I took him when he was younger. And he got to meet people like Bruce Campbell and all these other folks. Wow. And they were signing stuff for him for free. And he was just like so jazzed, right? I mean, his dad's machete. <laughs> well, he is cool, but it's like, sometimes you just can't imagine. He, he goes, he says, someday it's going to wear out, isn't it? I go, I don't know. I keep getting invited. Yeah. I'm everywhere. I'm in Germany a couple of times. I got invited to the UK. I mean, everywhere. Okay. Now, I have a 17-year-old. He's pretty cool. And he's going to school young. And he does not get this. Like at all. This is not like this is not this is like two and two equaling six. Like that I just like it's cool, but I don't really get it. Why do people want your autograph? Right. Because it's pop culture. It's yeah. something we're into. And he's just not where that is. Like if this was the 1950s, and he could go work at a steel mill or be a mathematician, he'd fit the mold. He likes working and things that are three-dimensional. I mean, he's going to school for business. He's a real bright kid. He was a wrestler. So he's got all the tools. So in a way, his mind is much more analytical. Right. And I mean, so are a lot of other people who are into the zombie culture. It just doesn't make sense. And then, and I have one that's 16. He's learning to drive. He's cool, you know. And friends over and show him Dawn to bed. Say, that's my dad. But it's, He's kind of into the genre a little bit. He doesn't do all the walks, but he likes dressing up. Right. And then um, my 11-year-old, you know, he's just an 11-year-old. You know, he likes baseball. It's just like, oh, yeah, my dad does that. It's kind of cool. So how old were they when you showed them the movie? Not. Oh, you didn't? They, they weren't, they didn't exist. But when you eventually showed them the movie, how old were they? Um, Probably between 9 and 11. 9 11. and 11? And how did they react? My oldest couldn't watch it. My oldest couldn't yeah. do it. like... Aww. He was afraid of the dark. Yeah. And um, my nine-year-old saw it when he was nine. Right. Oh, I'm sorry, my 11 saw it when he was nine. love that you've told the Twitterverse in the universe that he was afraid of the dark. <laughs> Don't say his name. Still is. <laughs> well, thank you so much for You're your time. You're very welcome. I hope that was helpful. Oh, my gosh, it was wonderful. It was you hard for... Wait, oh, we got you. But I believe that wraps up all the uh, Romero zombie uh, people, right? Yep. Okay, uh, so let's go ahead and wrap up this segment of the show, and we'll uh, be bringing you a third segment of the show. Oh, we'll wait, talk about. No, we, okay. we missed one. Did we miss oh, one? Oh, we missed Judith. We missed Judith. Okay, yes. we missed you. Oh well, well, then we are not wrapping up the show quite yet. <laughs> erase but, all that. Erase but, all that. Pretend but, it never happened. But there's more. <laughs> Um, so uh, we have one other person from uh, the Romero Zombie era that we need to talk about. Em, who did you have a chance to sit down and interview? 
Oh my God, the graceful and gracious Judith O'Day from Night of the Living Dead. She was made of cashmere and tea. She was just lovely. <laughs> lovely to talk to. She had a huge queue, but she asked the people behind us, can you just give us a minute? We'd like to, I'd like to speak with them a little longer. And I was, I, I, I was like, you're just so precious. You're adorable. She's just graceful. It was like, it was like on the, if I could meet Dame Maggie Smith, it was kind of that same feeling because she was very open. She discussed some other projects she's been working on. She talked about um, Night of the Living Dead and um, they're remaking Night of the Living Dead and she's in it. And I believe, Jay, am I right? And Addie Miller is playing the young Miss O'Day. <laughs> is mm-hmm. that right? Yep. Yep. It wow. Is. Very, very cool. That is very cool. I love the way you described her. Tea and cashmere. That's great. She was totally made of tea and cashmere. <laughs> uh, Jay, uh, and, and as far as her role and her, I mean, we obviously are talking, she's done other work as well, but as far as her role in uh, Dawn of the Dead, how did, how did, or Night of the Living Dead, how did that play out? Barbara is the, the um, key heroine through this film. And in the original Night of the Living Dead, she's played as kind of a... Uh, almost catatonic for the first half of the film and she's sort of the uh what's the i forget what the term is in 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 fiction she's she's the the damsel in distress for a while she becomes the object of of the hero the hero's actions Uh, but toward the end she uh in the woody harrelson vernacular nuts up and starts fighting back alongside everybody else Mm. um and she's She's the one through whom we see the film. We, we we see the action. We relate to the zombie apocalypse in a way that I think we would react the same way Barbara would react. Mm. So she's her appearance is very iconic. Uh, and many of the scenes that we see from Night of the Living Dead, we remember her reaction. And we remember her running through the woods and her... Uh, 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 you know, cowering and, and then uh, fighting back. Very good. Well, let's uh, let's go ahead and share that interview, the interview that you guys did with uh, Judith. Is it O'Day? Is that right? Judith O'Day. O'Day, yep. Judith O'Day. And uh, we'll share that with you, uh, fine folks here at the diner. Okay. It's sort of a psychological 
more psychological terror right. than it is pure uh, horizontal kind. Yeah. Well, I think Night of the Living Dead was pretty psychological too, in the sense of you don't know who to trust and you don't you know. You really don't. And, uh, well, oftentimes people have said, gee, Barbara was sort of weak, don't you think? And I, I so disagree. I do too. You stop to think something so terrible, so unexplainable was happening. Each one of us would react in a, a different way. Mm -hmm. Some of us might get a gun and kill everyone. Others of us have to go inside, get a handle on it, and then come back to face. Which I think that's the And you made it. I did. And you made it. And I picked up that board and <laughs> tried to get it. So are you a zombie fan? It's really, to be honest with you, it's really not my, my genre. But I have such respect for this whole zombie horror thing. I have never met a group of people as supportive, as dedicated, it's just pure fun as I have at these horror and people love you. They're lining up for you. It's amazing. Yeah. And the demographic, too. I mean, kids are starting to watch. I couldn't have watched this at the age of 10. But there are kids watching it. And it's amazing. It's amazing. But what is amazing to me is that they are. They have grown up in their small little lives with technology, with FX and all the computer things. To think that they would be willing to watch this film and come away and say, oh, well, that wasn't too bad. Right. I, it, it's a thrill for me. Excellent. It's a thrill. Would you ever do another zombie movie? Absolutely. Yeah? I wish George would give me a call. <laughs> Of the dead, new dawn of the dead. <laughs> new dawn of the dead. Well, I guess we'll never know. We're taking Thank you so much. So great to meet you. So much. You put my brain and well, I believe that wraps up all our zombie people. And this is the from the Romero, the Romero era of zombies. That was uh, a fine meal of brains you served it, up there, sir. It was, it was, and uh, side of eyeballs coming right up. Um, mm. <laughs> well, as we as we as we wrap up, uh, let's go ahead and give you guys a chance to plug a little bit about some of your own work here again. Jay, tell us a little bit about where people can find out more about you and what you're into and what you're doing. Well, they can find HG World, the zombie audio drama series, at goodmorningsurvivors.com. You can subscribe for free through iTunes or any other fine podcatcher service. Uh, you can friend us on our Facebook page. I love the gratification of talking to people who actually read my stuff. Oh, very good, very good. And, and M, how about you? So you can find out more about me on mjustm.com. Uh, and some of the voice work I've done and uh, a charity that I love very much and I'm currently fundraising for, hint, hint. Um, cancer's not going to cure itself now. Um, and I, I, you can find me on a couple of different podcasts, including HG World, which I'm very lucky to be on, uh, the works of Pendant Audio, uh, Darker Projects, and Broken Seas. Very good. 
Well, thank you guys and gal, I guess, for so much for uh, joining <laughs> us tonight as we talk more about Infect Scranton and some of the interviews that you did there. <laughs>
ultimately, if you want to get down to it, the way you survive something like Katrina or a catastrophe is not totally dissimilar to the way you might survive a zombie apocalypse. Absolutely. Yeah, there's definitely parallels. Yeah, this, zombies are basically just a set dressing for survival because the, you, you don't really need to worry about the zombies because you know that they follow certain, not natural, but supernatural law. The same thing applies in natural disaster. So your biggest concern is what's this other guy going to do to protect his family? Is he going to try and take my stuff? Or right. Or can get to a safe zone? I mean, those basic human questions that we have to answer all the time. Well, and that becomes one of the big issues. Even you know, we were talking about Walking Dead earlier, but even even the even the issues of it really is what is how, how far will our fellow man, our fellow human being, go? Mm-hmm. You know, where, where, you know when will the protection of family become more important than valuing human life. Right. That, that's the core premise of H.G. World in itself, because in an audio drama, you can't be fixated on the, the prosthetics because they're not there. They all sound like cows in a herd. This is about human interaction. <laughs> and and M, knows, M knows that we, we subject our main characters to horrible, horrible situations. Oh, Tracy will tell you. Tracy, Tracy went through a trigger episode after one of the scenes I had to put her through. And a lot of these, a lot of my actors are going, you really like hurting us, don't you? Like, no, <laughs> but, but if you were in the situation, this is the kind of stuff you go through. And I want to, I want to show people who can come through a situation like that and still be good human beings at their core. And then how others just completely go to a bad place. Yeah. All right. You guys ready to go? Yep. All right. I wish you'd you'd recorded that. I do. I I actually am recorded. Oh, good. So I recorded p- part of it. Part of it I got. So okay, good. So I might throw it in as like you know closing comments or something. All right. But, <laughs> that so was really well said. Lose it and the mic's not on. Awesome. Right. 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 <laughs>